0: Effective nonprofit development planning is essential for sustainable nonprofit growth. Plan the work and work the plan. But how should nonprofits begin? And how should leaders assess and measure success? I'm Josh with Antidote, and welcome to Nonprofit Pulse, where we explore trends, insights, and resources that help nonprofits accomplish their mission. On this episode, we're joined by Katie Lord on the topic of nonprofit development planning and how nonprofits can increase giving with effective planning. For more than a decade, Katie has managed and led nonprofit development operations and initiatives at both nonprofits and nonprofit fundraising agencies. Hey, Katie! Thanks for coming on Nonprofit Pulse.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation, Josh.
0: Yeah, me too. So today we're talking about nonprofit development planning. Um, and so maybe just to start from the beginning, what is nonprofit development planning, and why is it so important?
1: Well, first off, I'm just going to say right away why it's so important is you have to plan your work and work your plan. And without doing that, sometimes we can really veer off and get distracted in what is already an incredibly distracting field and job. Um, So development plans really are your roadmap. They are your guide to how you are planning to effectively raise the funds that you and your organization need. Breaking it down by different revenue streams and by different kind of goals and tactics and timelines, so it's really your roadmap to success for what you're hoping to accomplish with your fundraising team and in development over at least a year's time. I don't really like them to go much longer than a year, but at least a year. So you should have one annually, and um, can even have some a little bit further out, but it's something you should carry with you. Honestly, like I say, you should have your development plan with you at all times. You should probably have to print out three or four copies because they get so gross from being referenced and used over and over and over again.
0: Yeah. So why do you think nonprofits and nonprofit leaders struggle uh, to implement, to, to build out a development plan? Why do you think that is?
1: Well, I think we all have a little bit of shiny object syndrome, and then we also have board members and other people sometimes that have brilliant ideas that can sometimes distract us from what we know our best practices. And sometimes it can really just be asserting the knowledge that we have, which is in my opinion, why you should have a development plan. This is where you can sit down and say, it's not on the plan. Thank you so much for that idea. We'll put it in the parking lot. We can pull it in later. But I think development plans can be so hard because there are so many unknowns every year. And you sit down to author something. I mean, COVID was a perfect example, right? You sit down, you author something in January, and by March, you're literally throwing it out and starting from scratch because you have no idea what's going to happen. And things happen in our organizations every year. We might get a huge gift. We might lose a, a gift we were counting on, and so I think that's why it sometimes can feel very difficult to sit down and write them. But it's also knowing that the plan is flexible. Just because you wrote it down doesn't mean that it can't take into account things that have happened in your organization, like a staff member leave, a turnover um, of a executive director. All of these things, of course, are going to affect your plan. But I think getting down, sitting down, and you know, taking a day or two to even just bullet point right, a kind of skeletal plan is really important for us to get all of our thoughts organized, understand where we need to be spending our time, and also hold us accountable to where we are spending our time for the results that we are aren't getting and then be able to pivot from that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So kind of leaning into uh, some of the best practices when it comes to nonprofit development plans. You know, regardless of, of what size your organization is, whether you're just getting started or maybe a midsize or even large nonprofit, what are some of the uh, development planning best practices that you would recommend?
1: So first and foremost, again, kind of what I just said, bullet point your plan. It should not be a long form um you know, diatribe about what you're hoping to accomplish. First of all, you're not going to want to read it and or write it. Nobody else is going to want to read it. So the things that are, I would say, the most important to have are you need to have your goals and tactics. So how much are you hoping to raise with online giving? How are you planning to do that? You should have no more than three tactics. There's this thing with our brain called the rule of three. You give somebody three things to do, they're going to do all three. If you give people four things to do, immediately, like our brain shuts down and is like, nope, can't do it. And so we kind of hit analysis paralysis. So you should really only have three things listed under every um, goal that you're trying to achieve. And you also need to have a timeline and an assignment. So if everybody is in charge of the development plan, no one is in charge of the development plan. You need to have someone that is kind of owns the development plan, but that also means that you can assign other people tasks. Just because you own the plan doesn't mean you're expected to do the whole thing, but you need to be able to give Katie her assignments and Josh his assignments and Steve his assignments and Mary hers so that they understand in the plan, what am I accountable to and when am I accountable to it which is why timelines are so important as well. So that way at the end of the year or even the quarter, it's not like, well, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Well, yeah, you did. It was written down. It was in the plan. There are ways you can sort plans. Um, there's also ways you can assign volunteers things. Let's not forget our volunteers and our board members. They can also be assigned and should be in the plan so that everyone is really comfortable with where the organization is going and how we are going to be executing our fundraising. I mean, I always laugh because it's like, the plan really should be, again, how we guide ourselves. Now, here in Kansas City and then other places, like I can tell you daily, I hear like, well, we should just write to Mackenzie Scott. Well, yeah, everybody thinks we should just write to Mackenzie Scott. It's not that easy. And also there's a great way to be like, oh, it's not in the plan or it wasn't on our calendar. So we're not going to do that this year, but we can go from, you know, a different point of view or we can put it in the parking lot and, you know, maybe do it at some point. But the plan is, you know, just really the most important backbone of what you're going to be doing, and if you don't have one, it's so easy to get distracted by things like that. be at the end of the year and maybe have a deficit that you didn't realize you had.
0: yeah, yeah, that makes total sense and and before we get to uh, mistakes to avoid, I want to kind of lean into um, opportunities and and you know we talked about shiny object syndrome. Um, what are some opportunities that That may appear to be a shiny object that you shouldn't chase, but hey, you know, you've seen them come into um, an opportunity for nonprofits. Uh, You know, COVID was an opportunity uh, for many Mm -hmm. nonprofits who were doing impactful work in the communities, um, churches, religious uh, nonprofits, um, others who were, you know, sourcing frontline workers, resourcing frontline workers and things. So maybe share uh, a few opportunities you may have uh, experienced or seen. Um, That may appear to be a shiny object, but actually um, we're an opportunity to, uh, you know, fundraise or increase uh, revenue through uh, circumstances.
1: Well, I think one of the things that everyone's like is, oh, we just need to get on the news or we just need to, you know, get on Good Morning America or something like that. I've actually seen several organizations do that though. And through those opportunities, take those clips. We had one nonprofit in Kansas City specifically that did that. And then they really used just that, you know, highlight, if you will, to not only really kind of sink it back into the Kansas City community, but used it as an opportunity to reach out to other donors outside of the area that then became introduced and had an interest and start cultivating those relationships. So I do think any sort of media coverage, if you can get it, can really be a good thing. Those clips can be invaluable. They can be reused over and over again. And that feels sometimes like shiny object, but, Again, we saw so many great stories that happened during COVID, and let's be honest, like turning on the news is not always joyful, and so now we're trying to have more of those highlight and spotlight moments, so I don't think that that's as shiny of an object as it used to be. Um, I think with how connected we are, it is incredibly important for us to use video as much as we can, and so when you get those clips and things that you can use and really push out on social media and um, beyond through email acquisitions, things like that. I think it's really important to not chase those, but if they do come to really lean into those and kind of maybe stop and for lack of a better term, take a pivot and lean into that opportunity and, and to grow it. I mean, we also have had, I we have had people here that have gotten Mackenzie Scott money. I think that that's fantastic. I think how you tell that story is also incredibly important when you do get really large donations, that is an opportunity to continue to build trust in your organization, show how you're going to impact and use the work and how others matching that gift or participating in that can really push you your organization much, much further, much faster. So I do think that when those opportunities come, it really is stopping being thoughtful about how you seize them. And that that is when you kind of need to sit down and rewrite your plan. We did see a lot of things change in COVID. And I think some of that is is really good. It, there's been a lot more focus on individual donors, donor experience, starting to be more focused on um, kind of the Amazon experience, if you will, with donors. And they're starting to expect that. So however we can start to utilize these opportunities to create those moments for people is well worth the time, effort, and shiny object chasing.
0: I love that. Yeah, and, and video is such a, a huge opportunity for nonprofits to um, not only increase brand awareness, but but build that trust. You know, show that that we're real people doing real work with real impact, um, and that's just. An incredible, um, really necessity now in in 2023 that nonprofits be out there, be creating video, um, (laughs) trying to get as much media as possible. You know, newspaper ads and magazine ads and and, uh, banners at events are great. But when you can put a face to a cause, it is uh, massive in what you can do uh, for reaching your community and building that trust.
1: Well, yeah, people give to people. People give to people, they don't yes. give to organizations or institutions. So if they can see you, they can see the work. I know, I mean, it's just so funny and I'm, I'm totally guilty of this, but it's like we have this um, perfectionism in nonprofit. We're like, well, it wasn't the best video, that's authenticity. I would much rather see the, you know, phone shot video than maybe even the highly, highly produced video because that's real. And people much more are excited about like, oh, that's great. The food shipment came in or somebody's getting vaccines or they're giving children, you know, food or clothes or something. I mean, that's the work we do. It doesn't have to be glamorized. Sometimes it's the beauty and the simplicity of,
0: just showing the human interaction that we have every day. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, being able to see behind the curtain like that too, I think it sets a good expectation for volunteers when they show up, you know, to work at a food pantry or to work at an animal shelter, it kind of shows behind the scenes and sets expectations up front so that people aren't shocked or feel like they, yes. they had a, you know, a misconception about what this organization was about.
1: Well, yeah, we all have the lovely glossy staged photos sometimes, but it's really the real work. And sometimes you're right. It's not glamorous, but it's honest. And I think that's something more and more donors and people are looking for is just, you know, authenticity. Um, We do see trust in nonprofits going down a little bit. Um, There's just trust in institutions across the board going down a little bit. We're not, you know, just the only type of institution that is, but... I think showing that creates more of like, okay, they're not, you know, there's nothing to hide. There's no, um, there's, there's no lack of authenticity. It just truly like, this is what it is. This is what a day-to-day looks like. And yes, we have our big moments, but sometimes it's the littlest ones that have the biggest impact on those we're trying to serve. This podcast is brought to you by Anadip. With billions of dollars processed in donations and more than 25,000 organizations served, Antidote saves your organization time and money. Find out more at antidote.com. A-N-E-D-O-T dot com. Antidote. Save time and money with powerful giving tools.
0: So I love, uh, when talking to experts, I love uh, talking about mistakes to avoid because Um, you know, we, we all make mistakes. We all go through mistakes and, you know, if we learn from them, we become better. Uh, but I also like to learn from others so that I don't have to make those mistakes. So just thinking about mistakes to avoid when it comes to nonprofit development planning, uh, what, what would you share?
1: Um, so the two biggest mistakes I see are first and foremost, it's the, nobody owns the plan. So you need to have like the plan author or owner, they're the only one allowed to change the plan. So you're not running around with 37 different plans that people have marked up and been like, well, I didn't like this, I'm just gonna change it real quick. So one plan that one person authors, if there is a change, everybody receives the change, understands why the change was made. So that is first and foremost. And then also kind of going back to my nerdy like brain science stuff, um we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in a decade so really 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 take the time i know we are all ambitious i know we want to you know set the world on fire but really be thoughtful of you know are you do you have smart goals are they reasonable are they time sensitive are they measurable you know are they do they make sense for your organization and also measure what matters I love data, so I want my development plan to see, you know, increases here and that, da, 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 da. but if you don't need to know a number, don't measure it. Sometimes I think we just measure things to measure things, but it's a vanity metric. It's like, well, we got, you know, a new score, a smart, you know, our NPS score, and this is well, great. What are you going to do with an NPS score? You can't change it. That's somebody's perception or we got 20,000 new likes on Facebook. Okay, cool, but what? how does that turn into anything? It's more about measuring what truly has impact as far as your fundraising goes or your um, volunteer management and recruitment. So it's measuring what matters. It is making sure that you are setting smart, realistic goals and it is that you have one development plan, gatekeeper wizard.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah. And even like uh, just thinking of small dollar campaigns, you know, by measuring your, your small dollar campaign success, you may realize, wait a second, this is how, you know, a large part of our community wants to support us is, you know, $5 a month or $10 a month. Um, and so we need to increase that. We need to run advertising for that. We need to lean into that. And so measuring what matters is huge. And it yep. can inform your your development planning uh, for years or even decades to come
1: well most people who start out giving our five or ten dollar donors you know they're all testing us they're not the the largest donors and I think um, let me get on my soapbox for a second you know I think we have a problem with the democratization of giving making people think their five and ten dollars doesn't matter. But if your $5 and my $5 and 20 other people's $5 come in, we make real impact. And the world is seeing that more and more um, in the rise of crowdfunding and other things like that. And I think that's something we need to not shy away from. We need to really look at, okay, how do those monthly and small monthly gifts or even just smaller gifts start to snowball in our organization? And I definitely think that should be something in your plan that you pay attention to.
0: So thinking through um, you know, small nonprofits who, who may uh, not have a very robust uh, development planning uh, or development plan in place or even have one at all, um, all the way up to large uh, nonprofits, what can nonprofits expect by either starting or leaning into and expanding their development planning? What can they expect?
1: I mean, there's no such thing as perfection. So don't author your plan with like, this is the plan. It's never going to change. I did, you know, I, I did the best plan ever. No, things are going to happen. And I mean, I'm still learning about development plans. There hasn't been a year that I haven't changed a plan at some point midway through because something unforeseen happened. So really, we need to look at it as this is a living, breathing document. This is a roadmap, like I said, but sometimes we need to take left and right turns depending on what happens. And the biggest thing is just to start. If you don't start, then you can't look back at past data. You can't look back at things that worked or didn't work, or and you can't look back and go, okay, we did try that five years ago, but this is how we did it, versus, okay, we could maybe try it now because we have a different way of approaching it. And I think that that's what's really important too, is it's like you start to create kind of this history on paper that you can go back and and look at, um, but also not kill kind of new fresh ideas and things like that. You can kind of compare and contrast. And especially even with larger organizations, I mean, with little ones, just getting started is great. Just writing it down. And then, like I said, you're gonna start to build on it as you grow. And then with some of the large ones, I mean, we can start getting really deep into, you know, the personalization and the segmentation And like I said, some of creating really some of those robust donor magic moments as we continue to grow, and that should be one of the goals, is creating those you know magic moments, as I say, with our donors. The more that we um, grow out our development plan, but we've all got to start somewhere, and starting small is starting. And that and that's to me sometimes there's beauty in that.
0: Yes. What are some of the friction uh, or challenges that may come with starting? your development plan or or even, uh, you know, leaning in and, and making it more complex. What's some friction that nonprofit leaders can go ahead and expect and prepare for?
1: Um, so sometimes there will be the friction with the board of well, why do we have a plan? Like, why can't we just go do what we've always been doing? And I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to follow this plan or be adhered because I have all of these great ideas. Sometimes there'll be internal staff. And this is really important as a leadership team that the development director, Um, Whoever is in charge of this plan sits down because um, the marketing calendar might be different. I need to know about that. There might be something that's going on in the program side. I need to know that because by having that open communication, that can help me write a better plan, maybe use some of those opportunities to help raise funds and bring awareness. But then also it's not like, hold on, marketing team. I need my uh, end of year appeal to go out and it needs to go out on Tuesday and it's Thursday. So you need to stop what you're doing. <laughs> that is where I've seen huge friction. So it's really just how you communicate it internally, how you communicate it to your key stakeholders, and how and how you hold yourself accountable to using it. And like I said, carrying it around, holding it out, um, bringing it, a- and um, making that the document that you report off of.
0: So Katie, imagine you are standing on stage in front of hundreds of nonprofit leaders uh, and you get to share one thing about nonprofit development planning, one takeaway, what would you share with that audience?
1: It's a hard one, because I love development plans so much. I mean, again, I think to me, the most important thing is have your plan and work your plan. This is not like a strategic plan where sometimes we put it on the shelf. You have to have it You have to understand why you have it in place in the first place. Otherwise you've just wasted time and you need to work that plan over and over, year after year. It doesn't have to be the same plan, but you have to work that plan. Otherwise you're not going to grow or growth can be slower because you will not be as focused on where the highest ROI can be for
0: your organization. Love it. Love it. This has been such a great conversation and it's a huge topic, Katie, and we'll definitely have to have you back and and uh, dive into some of the more particulars like around segmentation or yes. end of year appeals. Uh, but thanks so much for coming on Nonprofit Pulse.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day.
0: Hey, thanks for checking out this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with others or leave us a rating and review. To find show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit nonprofitpulse.com. There, you can also sign up for the Nonprofit Pulse monthly newsletter where we send the latest trends, insights, and resources to help nonprofits accomplish their mission. We'll see you next time.